Love for neighbor. We're learning about love for neighbor. We're learning about love in our community uh, this summer. And uh, thank you, actors, for helping us grasp that a little bit more. We started this theme of love in our community on um, June 5th uh, by celebrating that text of scripture that we sang again this morning. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We've talked about loving others. We began on Sunday afternoon, June 5th, and then Sunday afternoon, June 12th, we went over and, and loved at Alden Care Center. We helped them build these beautiful raised garden beds that they could roll up to in wheelchairs and plant. It was an awesome day of connecting with people there, a time in the garden time just visiting, time playing bingo together. Some of you were killer at bingo, uh, but it was fun with these people who spend so much of their time uh, alone and so much of their time dealing simply with their physical illness and uh, disabilities and to have uh, us come in and to simply be with them was a a profound expression of love and a relationship that has continued Sunday mornings as a group worships, leads worship there and a relationship we hope to build even more. And then we sent a team to Nicaragua, a team made up of of neighbor cousins of people along with our friends from Wyman and went and loved, loved some neighbors a little bit farther away, not our neighborhood, but certainly our neighbors in the sense of those who need to know the love of God. And then we've heard about July 12th, the barbecue and books uh, where we are loving our community and excited about the next steps that happen this Tuesday as well. So today as we get ready for this next step of uh, barbecue and books and as we look to the garage sale, and the garage sale is a key part of our love in our community too. It's not just a fundraiser. It's not just a get rid of junk uh, thing. In fact, it's really odd that I'm this excited because I hate garage sales, but I love this garage sale because this garage sale comes with a, a missional heart to it. It comes with a stewardship heart to it saying we have too much stuff. And this is a way to redeem some of that excess stuff, excess stuff and, and to, to free up some funds in order to make a difference in terms of literacy here in Naperville and literacy in the DR Congo as well. And so all of these things are tied into it. But as we look to these events, we come uh, with a question of this, this man who was quizzing Jesus, who asked Jesus after Jesus said, love your neighbor, he said, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells them this story we just acted out, a story with a little bit of a surprise in it. Now, in your bulletin is an outline, and you'll notice that there's fill in the blank, and we do this often on a Sunday when we try to especially pull the kids in. But let me remind you, those of you who are adults, maybe those who didn't want to do hand motions, you might be the same people that don't like fill in the blank, but just stick with me for a little bit here. Uh, This is a child-friendly outline, but it's not a child-ish outline, so you might want to stick with it as well as we go along. So in the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus uses the element of surprise. He uses the element of surprise, first of all, to teach that loving our neighbor means being a neighbor. Loving our neighbor means being a neighbor. And that comes in actions of love and mercy to anyone in need. That's who a neighbor is, anyone in need. And we come with the love of Jesus. And we're going to learn that in three ways uh, from Jesus here. There's, first of all, a Jesus test that goes on in this interaction with this expert in the law. Second, there's a Jesus tale, and that's the actual story of the Good Samaritan that we've seen acted out so well. And then finally, the Jesus teaching that comes through here. So let's look at this Jesus test. The expert in the law here is really trying to test Jesus. He's really kind of catch him off guard. He's really not in favor of Jesus. He's trying to find out if Jesus is is really the Messiah or not and trying to prove that he isn't. So he presses him and he asks this question to him. It's sort of this question and answer that goes back and forth between Jesus and the expert. He's testing Jesus, but Jesus is testing him. So we have sort of a Q&A here. And what happens is these two guys, Jesus and this expert, agree on the great commandment. 
The great commandment is the one that says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. So the expert comes to Jesus and says, "What? first of all, he says, what should I do to inherit eternal life? So that's his first question. Jesus says, well, what does the Bible say? He puts it back to the guy, and the guy answers correctly and says, it is the great commandment. Love the Lord your God and love others. Love God, love others. And Jesus says, you're right. We agree. This is awesome. Just do this and you will live. And see, things seem to wrap up really well right there. But the expert presses a little bit farther. And he comes through with a, a deeper question. And I'd like to say what he's doing here is he's looking for a loophole. <laughs> he's looking for a loophole. You know what a loophole is, right? It's kind of the easy way through something that might be difficult. It's finding the quick answer. It's the easy way out. It's a way to bend the rules in our favor is a loophole. Something that, that, that is established where if we do that, it might be an easy way to get around this. And we hear that in verse 29 where it says, The man wanted to justify himself the man wanted to justify his actions and the message translation actually says looking for a loophole he asked and just how would you define neighbor see he wants to make sure that the the answer for what who is his neighbor is something pretty simple that it's some people that's easy for him to love (laughs) he's hoping for that answer in fact the jews of that day had uh, really wrongly but had interpreted the law to say that really only god's people only the children of israel are the important people to us so the only people that we're really called to love are the children of god and the people that we include in our family and so in a sense he's saying i want to make sure that the answer for loving my neighbors is one that i can answer pretty easily yeah i love my family yeah i love my neighbors yeah i love the people that live around me yeah i love the people that i already love (laughs) love the easy ones so jesus finishes a story and doesn't answer that he doesn't say hey you're calling a loophole here jesus said let me just tell you a story in fact we have here after this test with jesus we have a jesus tale or a story and this tale has several characters that we've already seen acted out first of all we have a guy secondly we have some bad guys thirdly we have some clueless guys that's not all guys by the way it's just in this story and we have a good guy The guy is going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, the people listening to the story, as soon as Jesus says, there was a man who went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, people went, oh, that can never end being good. It was a treacherous journey. It was very much a downhill journey. There was all kinds of twists and turns and valleys, plenty of places for bad guys to hide. And so when Jesus says a man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, they could see where this is going. And in fact, then the bad guys come in. It says that they robbed him, they beat him, they stripped him, and they left him half dead the guy was a mess our actors were pretty tame up here compared to what the reality was i think a blow-up hammer but anyway um and then come along who i would call the clueless guys they have clues about certain things they're good guys. they're not bad guys the levites and priests were good guys they were just sort of busy and and they walk by and they don't show the love and mercy that a neighbor should show to a neighbor and so they are really clueless they aren't aware of the call on their life to care for another but then it come along comes the good guy. The good guy stops and shows mercy. And shows mercy and love in practical ways right there on the side of the road by bandaging wounds. And then by putting him on his donkey, taking him to the innkeeper and paying all expenses. And this good guy, Jesus says in his story, is a Samaritan. And when Jesus says to the Jews, listen, he says, he was a good Samaritan. That was the surprise. A good Samaritan? Nobody ever heard of a good Samaritan before among Jewish circles. In fact, to them, a good Samaritan was an 
oxymoron. Know that word? Vocabulary builder today, an oxymoron to the Jews of that time. It was a surprise. You know what an oxymoron is, right? Two words that don't go well together that don't make sense. I came up with a list that I found. Act naturally, jumbo shrimp, found missing, deafening silence, larger half, alone together, liquid gas. I like that one. Seriously funny. Clearly confused. Hell's angels, and some may not agree with the last one. Apple fans would, though. Microsoft works. See, for the, the, the Jewish people to hear the term good Samaritan didn't make sense. Samaritans were a despised people. It even says that here. And there was reason for them to be despised by the Jewish people. If we go back 700 years in, in the history of Israel, there was a time when, when the kingdoms, Israel was divided in half, of the northern kingdom being Israel, the southern kingdom being Judah, and then being carried off to exile. The people in Judah went to Babylon, then they came back and they rebuilt the temple and became the people of God again. But the people in the northern kingdom spread out, intermarried with non-Jewish people, and when they drifted back, they came with a religion that was just only sort of like Judaism, and they had incorporated other things. They'd married other people. They were considered half-breeds. They were, they were like heretics. They had perverted the faith of the Jewish people, and they had perverted the bloodlines of the Jewish people. And so the Samaritans were a despised people because of the horrible things that had happened in their history. And so they were outcasts by the Jews. But Jesus makes this guy the good guy, and that's the surprise in the story. You see, when the person that we expect to help, like the religious people, when those people walk by, and the person we expect to avoid the situation does everything possible to solve the problem, it upsets our notions of of how we expect the world to work. It disturbs our sense of reality. When the guy we think is going to be the bad guy becomes the good guy, and the things we think is going to be the good guy becomes the clueless guy. It upsets the sense of how we think the world works. In this story, actions speak louder than expectations. Actions of the Good Samaritan spoke much more loudly than the expectations on anybody. See, the choices a Samaritan makes change him, change him from being the despised outcast to the neighbor of the guy who got hurt. And his actions, the good Samaritan's actions, tell the audience of Jews listening to Jesus that the lines we draw to define our in-groups and our out-groups are lines that Jesus wants us to cross. The lines that we draw for the people that we find lovable and the people that we find a little uncomfortable and the people we're not so sure how to approach, Jesus says, those are the lines I want you to cross with love and with mercy. And this Jesus tale then takes us to the Jesus teaching that comes through here. In this Jesus teaching, basically Jesus says, go do this and live. Do this. Do acts of love and acts of mercy. The short answer for the Jesus teaching is, do this, be like this guy. The longer answer is everyone is my neighbor and especially those in need. Everyone is my neighbor and especially those in need. We say here often, God wants lost people found and hurting people helped. God wants lost people found and hurting people helped. Another way to see Jesus' teaching here is we need to recognize that our, our neighborliness is determined by our action, not by where we live. The word neighbor can be confusing because it sounds like neighborhood. It sounds like somebody who lives within a few houses of ours. But the word is much broader here. And our neighborliness is not where we happen to live. It's determined by our actions and our love shown to others. 
The decision to show mercy is what made the Samaritan a good neighbor. His decision to show love and show mercy to that man is what made the Samaritan a good neighbor, regardless of where he was from or where he lived. And we could show love and mercy to those in our midst who need that, regardless of things that we think might separate us or make us different. Whatever age you are in this room this morning, from the littlest kids to the most chronologically advanced adult, is that a good way to say it? No, that's what my dad used to say. We can make these decisions, like maybe even helping a, a kid in your classroom when you go back to that place. I won't say the name of it, but it'll happen in a couple weeks. But seriously, one of the kids who maybe other kids don't pay attention to. Do they still have cooties now? We had cooties like a long time ago. You, get, you do cooties now? Okay, so it might be a kid with cooties, but you could still help him. Tommy's all over the cooties. Okay, good. Um, it might be an offering to, to help a, a neighbor in your cul-de-sac who, who you know happens to be quite quite actively supporting a candidate you don't support, but they might need a hand, and you could step across that line. Or maybe there's someone who don't keep up their property, and you could see it just draining your property values, but you find out that the reason they're not keeping it up is because they need a little bit of help. That might be even a little bit of neighborliness in your neighborhood. It could, in a broader sense, mean speaking out against an injustice done against a group of people that you don't belong to, like a group of refugees. Did you see the refugee team on the, on the, in the, in the Olympic uh, parade the other night, there's a team of world refugees. And we might say, whatever we feel about politically about what happens, these are people in need. And it might be taking a stand for some of the injustices that they face. Or it might be aligning yourself with some people of a different culture, a different skin color than, than yours, and speaking out about an injustice that's suffered. It also might mean giving of your time or your money to assist someone who finds himself in trouble. And as we continue here to connect with our All You Need Is Love projects this summer, we've already mentioned the, uh, the barbecue and books events. Just a little more I want to say about this is that these picnics are designed to promote reading for kids. You've heard that. So that they have the same opportunities to do well as their classmates. And I think we need a reminder here that their family, the families who are meeting and getting to know want their children to succeed just as much as we do. And we're excited to have this chance to hang out with them and to affirm that desire and to empower education. We want all the people in our community to feel welcome in this community, no matter where they're from or how much they make or don't make. We want people to feel welcome in this community where we live as a church. We want them to know that we are glad that they are our neighbors. You know, for this project, though, some of you are wondering, where did all this money come from? Well, there's grants. The school is behind. And, and as far as church state stuff doesn't matter. We're just helping. We're just working together on this thing, by the way. Uh, the, the school has received grants. The teachers volunteer their time to come and make this happen. Other agencies are there. But the three churches of us that are involved are doing some other things. St. Elizabeth Ann Seton has, has provided dessert at the, the first two events. And this last event and this one coming on Tuesday, we're the Neighborville Covenant. I just want you to know we are the healthy church. We've talked about being healthy. We're providing the healthy food. So along with burgers and chips, Neighbor Cove is providing fruits and vegetables. Aren't you proud of yourselves? Uh, Kathy Bittner handled it last time. Kathy's doing it again. If you want to help, I can send you her direction to help. But we're jumping in just to help that. We're doing it because it's, a, it's an act of hospitality. Do you know that hospitality does not mean setting a nice table and having people in your home? It might be. But hospitality in a biblical sense means kindness to strangers. Kindness to strangers is the biblical definition of hospitality. And so we're showing hospitality, showing a kindness and providing fruits and vegetables and conversation. We're showing that by showing hospitality is a neighborly thing to do. 
We want to focus on those things as we are at the picnic this week and as we meet people coming in and out of our garage sale. They may not want to have a lot of conversation there other than, can I have this for cheaper than you marked it? I mean, that might be the conversation we have. But it's still a connection with our community. To focus on these things and to see this neighborliness as stepping across lines that might be a little uncomfortable for us, making these connections, showing a kindness to others, and loving people with the love of Christ. The Good Samaritan story that Jesus tells uses the element of surprise to teach that loving our neighbor means being a neighbor. Loving our neighbor means being a neighbor. And that means showing actions of love and mercy to anyone in need. I was thinking as we now move towards the communion table, that really the only way that we can show love and mercy is to have, first of all, received love and mercy. There's a lot of people that want to do good things in the world. But we know that our, our, our source of that is in Jesus Christ. The, the source of that desire to make a difference, the source of this, literally in this story, is Jesus himself saying, this is what a neighbor is. And he shows us his compassion, kindness, and mercy by coming to dwell among us, die on a cross to forgive our sins, rising again to empower us with his presence through the Holy Spirit that we might live a life of love and mercy. And so the table celebrates all that. The table tells us about life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And our receiving the communion says, I'm going to go make a difference. Now I want to explain something. I'm going to shift gears real quickly here and then we're going to, we're going to do communion. We're going to do communion up front, by the way. We'll have two stations up here. You can come anytime you want. Receive from our lay leaders who will be up here. Parents, come with your children. That would be great if they're ready to receive communion. Uh, but you'll also see on the, on, on the back wall and over on the back of the soundboard, this is for either during communion or afterwards when we're visiting, but we have some sign-ups there actually for the garage sale, and there's sign-ups for the barbecue books. That may seem like, ooh, you just shifted from something really religious like communion to something really practical like sign-up sheets, but these are connected. These are ways we are connecting in our community. So you might want to, if you have time during communion and want to look at that, if you don't want to be bothered with it, please take a look after worship. I'm sorry we pulled out the back row chairs for those who are the back row chair people. I don't, they might have left the church. I don't know. I don't know if they're where, they, where you're sitting, but we pulled them out so you can access those things. Uh, but these are practical expressions uh, of connecting in the community. We encourage you to take a look at that. Let me pray, and then we will move towards the table. Lord, thank you for the opportunities we've had to see, experience, and live into a little bit this story. A story told 2,000 years ago, and yet that becomes very much alive in our own hearts, in our neighborhoods and communities and our connections. So Lord, I pray that you would take what's such a familiar story and cause it to come alive in each of us today. And especially now as we approach the table, Lord, that we would remember the only way we know how to be a neighbor, the only way we know how to show love and mercy is to have experienced the life-changing power of your love for us, your mercy in forgiving our sins and your love that empowers us to make a difference. We love you, Jesus, and we continue to invite you into our presence as we move to the table. We pray in your name, Lord. Amen.